Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. I'm just going to jump right in. The analysis of Four Noble Truths, the Saka Vibhanda Sutta. I'm sorry, I, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, Jen. Is it clear to you where the um, where part one ends and part two begins? Yes, I'm stopping at um, the second Noble Truth. Good. <clears throat> okay, so the Buddha is at Isipatana, the place where he gave his first teaching called the Dhammakakapavatana Sutta, which is setting the wheel of truth in motion on the four noble truths and the tasks associated with them. And now he's back at Isipatana with one of his disciples, Sariputta, who is about to teach a sutta on the four noble truths. So throughout this weekend, we've made reference to a lot of Dhamma concepts. And from an intellectual standpoint, there are a lot of concepts in the Dhamma that you can study and learn and think about and make flow charts about and take notes on. And speaking of flow charts, I just wanted to show you guys the first flow chart that I got obsessed with. Yeah, I remember it. When I was in my first retreat. And I just kept editing it and editing it and editing it and then making it more artistic. And then I finally realized that, you know, I was just clinging and craving to trying to understand all this stuff. <laughs> um, and, you know, so there's, there's a lot of concepts here that you can kind of get mired down in. And, you know, it is absolutely beneficial for some people. This was helpful for me. It was part of my process. But it is not a requirement. You don't have to get all of these concepts. And you certainly don't need to articulate them to anyone else. You don't mm. have to be able to do that for the Dhamma to work on you. Uh, right. You know, I'm a teacher. Teaching is how I learn. Um, so I want to thank each and every one of you for being my students today because you're helping me deepen my practice. Yeah. But you don't have to be able to explain them in order for the Dhamma to work on you. Matt said to me one time, this really stuck with me, the Dhamma works in a place where there are no words. So you don't have to be able to explain all of this stuff, even to yourself. Yeah. So, And if you're ever feeling frustrated, Remember that Siddhartha Gautama, an ordinary human being, awakened without these teachings. Right. Once he awakened, he taught others in as little as a single sutta. And they awakened. He taught all of these concepts over 40 years. And each, each one was just designed to cut through the conditioned mind that he was speaking to in that moment. Yep. Brilliant, Jim. 
And he came at it from a bunch of different ways just in order to cut through your conditioned mind and your conditioned mind and your yeah. conditioned mind, your conditioned mind and your conditioned mind. It's not necessary to understand all of it. But what I do want to kind of underscore is what we're, what I'm teaching today, which is be able to recognize, learn to recognize ignorance of Four Noble Truths, your own ignorance of Four Noble Truths. The Dhamma starts, so if the Dhamma ever starts to feel burdensome or cumbersome or difficult or complicated, it might be Anatta. It might be the not-self setting up booby traps in your mind of doubt and worry or restlessness in an attempt to keep you ignorant of the Four Noble Truths. Mm -hmm. So here's the good news. The Four Noble Truths aren't going anywhere. (laughs) You can ignore them, you can forget them, but they are always there. So... Rejoice. And you may recall David mentioning earlier in the retreat that uh, a previous retreat um, where Kevin taught, did a talk on the Sarah, on Saraputta, the Saraputta Sutta, Saraputta is who is teaching this particular sutta that I'm teaching today. And because of that talk that Kevin gave, I always like imagine Saraputta with the same Kevin's same kind of no nonsense countenance. So we'll see if I can pull that off today. So here's the, um, here's the sutta. On one occasion, the Buddha was staying at the deer park in Isipatana. He addressed those gathered friends. It was here that I set in motion, the unexcelled wheel of the Dhamma. My Dhamma cannot be corrupted by any Brahmin, Diva, Mara, anyone in the entire world. No one can corrupt the revelation, declaration, the description, the structure, the explanation, and the clear and direct teachings of the Four Noble Truths. The Noble Truth of Stress and Suffering, the Noble Truth of the Origination of Stress, the Noble Truth of the Cessation of Stress, and the Noble Truth of the Eightfold Practice Eightfold path of practice leading to the cessation of stress. Friends, associate with wise disciples such as Sariputta and Mogalana. Sariputta and Mogalana are well-trained, focused, wise, and sympathetic to those developing a life integrated with the Eightfold Path. Sariputta is like a mother giving milk, I'm sorry, giving birth, and Mogalana is like the nurse that tends the baby. Sariputta trains others on developing the Dhamma. Mogalana to the highest culmination. Sariputta is able to declare, teach, describe, set forth, reveal, explain, and make plain the Four Noble Truths in detail. Having said these words, the Buddha left for the days abiding. So here, we're, we're kind of being drawn into the importance of the Four Noble Truths. Right view is understanding the Four Noble Truths. Profound right view is deeply understanding the Four, the, the four Noble Truths. And Sariputta, who's giving this sutta, was really good at getting folks into the stream, hooking them into the Dhamma. You know, for <coughs> somebody, somebody securing a teaching about the Dhamma 
and right away getting engaged and wanting to learn more in the Dhamma. So that's what we can take from this. This, this teaching on the Four Noble Truths is helpful in really getting you into the stream. Sariputta then addressed those gathered. <clears throat> Friends, it was here that the Tathagata set in motion the unexcelled wheel of the Dhamma. This Dhamma cannot be corrupted by any Brahmin, Deva, Mara, Brahma, or anyone in the entire world. No one can corrupt the revelation, declaration, the scription, the structure, the explanation, and the clear and direct teaching of the Four Noble Truths. So again, they're not going anywhere. The Noble Truth of Stress and Suffering, the noble truth of the origination of stress, the noble truth of the cessation of stress, the noble truth of the eightfold path of practice leading to the cessation of stress. So these are the teachings that got through to people who are brand new to the Dhamma. It is simple and direct, and here he elaborates on the first noble truth. Friends, what is the noble truth of stress and suffering? Birth is stressful. Sickness is stressful. Aging is stressful. Death is stressful. Sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair are all stressful. Not getting what is desired is stressful. Receiving what is undesired is stressful. In short, the five clinging aggregates are stressful. And what is birth? whatever takes birth, the descent, the coming to be, the coming forth, the arising of the five clinging aggregates, the fabrication of sensuous realms of diverse beings. This is called birth. There are entire suttas in birth, on birth and becoming. So again, this could be expanded into a huge intellectual endeavor explaining birth, but <clears throat> birth is, is on a top. It's the not-self, it's the ego-self, the part of the mind that is obsessed with sensory pleasures, obsessed with having certain feelings and thoughts and qualities of mind and intellectual understanding and mystical insight and not having other feelings and thoughts and qualities of mind and intellectual understanding. It's the aspect of mind that's distracted by impermanent phenomena, impermanent phenomena that are, are happening inside ones that are happening in our environment and it's that part of the mind and that part of the mind is stressful because it pulls you out of experiencing life as life occurs all right back to Saraputta's words and what is aging aging is decrepitude brokenness graying wrinkling declining of life force diminishing of the mental faculties of diverse beings this is called aging so aging, this is something we were kind of touching on. Um, well, we've touched on it a few times in the last two in the last weekend. Aging is stressful because of anatta. Anatta uses form to define itself. Last night we were saying form is impermanent. So if you're looking at form and saying this is me, and it has to stay like this in order to stay me and for me to continue to exist you're going to be stressed because you know form's going to change. What is death? Death is the passing away, the breaking up, the disappearance, the completion of time, the casting off of the body. 
the interruption of the faculty and the dissolution of the five clinging aggregates of diverse beings. This is called death. And what is sorrow? Sorrow is sadness, this suffering and misfortune, being touched by pain, this is called sorrow. And what is regret? Regret is the grieving, the crying, the weeping, the wailing, the regret of suffering from misfortune, of being touched by pain. This is called regret. And what is pain? Pain is bodily pain, bodily discomfort, pain or discomfort from bodily contact. This is called pain. And what is distress? Distress is mental pain and mental discomfort. Pain or discomfort from mental contact. This is called stress. And what is despair? Despair is despondency and desperation of anyone suffering from misfortune or touched by a painful thing. This is called despair. And what is the stress of not getting what is desired? In those beings subject to birth, the wish arises, may I not be subject to birth? May I not, may birth may not come to me? Wishing does not bring cessation. This is the stress of not getting what is desired. Furthermore, in uninformed human beings, subject to birth, sickness, aging, death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair, the wish arises, oh, may I not be subject to birth, sickness, aging, death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair. May these things not befall me. These things are not avoided by wishing. This is the stress of not getting what is desired. So all of this could be lumped into dukkha occurs, stress occurs, and it's not personal. It's happening. It's not happening to me. But he's going into <coughs> all of this detail because, again, he wants to cut through conditioned minds, all the different kinds of conditioned minds. And in each one of these scenarios and in all, in, in all of these ways of explaining dukkha, distress, despair, getting what I don't want or not getting what I want, getting what I don't want, death, aging, all of that stuff requires a, a mental frame of reference, me. The, the phenomena, this, this, this phenomena arising and passing away, this impermanent phenomena is happening me i'm experiencing it and i don't like it or i do like it and that starts the process of self-reference and identifying with what's happening it leads to fabrications and it leads to thinking about me in my mind of, of an idea of me, usually projected into the future or clinging to the past. That's all anatta. So I like the way John says it. He always says what we think of a self is not a self. It's anatta. It's the five clinging aggregates. So Sariputta goes into the five <coughs> clinging aggregates. Here. What are the five clinging aggregates that continue stress? the clinging to form aggregate, the clinging to feeling aggregate, the clinging to perception aggregate, the clinging to fabrication aggregate, the clinging to consciousness aggregate. 
These are the five clinging aggregates that continue stress. This, friends, is the noble truth of stress. So that's the first noble truth he just went through. And again, cutting through, trying to cut through to all the different kinds of conditioned mind that he may be addressing, getting to the point that dukkha occurs and it's not personal. A lot of different ways he's going through that. And it's not, that's not an easy idea to allow in. So that's enough. That's an, just, just mm. letting that work on us is enough without trying to grasp after understanding all of these concepts. Mm. So what, and like this time of day, this, the light comes in the, in the window perfectly to like, get me right, get me right in five. So I'm just going to shade my eye here. So what Sarah Puta is pointing out is the tendency of conditioned mind or anatta. It's this tendency, the human, this is our, this is our existence. This is, this is the human mind. It just does this. Yep. It's this tendency to use form, our body, feelings, perceptions, fabrications, and consciousness to define me yep. to myself. These are my feelings. They are happening to me. So that is how we're thinking about ourselves. I am this body and these thoughts and these feelings, and therefore I'll control them and make them be some kind of way. And that is what's happening when we're ignoring the four noble truths. The first noble truth or the noble truth of stress and suffering is dukkha occurs. Stress occurs. It's not personal. Phenomena like feelings and thoughts and qualities of mind are impermanent. They arise and pass away on their own without input from me. Now we move on to the second noble truth. And what is the noble truth of the origination of stress? The very craving that makes for becoming further ignorant. Craving and clinging to passion and delight entranced here and there with craving for sensuality, craving for continued becoming, craving for non-becoming. This is called the noble truth of stress. I'm reading my notes here because I'm not sure I want to. So phenomena occur, I'm going to do it. So phenomena occur in our environment all over the place. Lots of phenomena all the time. Some of it makes it into our minds and into our awareness. If we're aware of it, we can either allow it to arise and pass away, or we can start to use it to identify ourselves. And that's, that's where the left fork and the right fork are. And the second noble truth is clinging and craving perpetuates suffering and continues suffering. So I'm ignoring that dukkha occurs, I'm, I'm clinging to the idea that I can not suffer. That's a, a really simplified way of looking at it. Um, in, the, in the second noble truth, you, you see mm. dependent origination feeding back on itself. So a phenomena arises, I identify with it, I like this, I don't like that, I want more of this. How can I get more of this? I want less of that. How can I get less of that? 
the last time I got that thing I didn't want, I did this and I did that to get less of it. And I talked to this, get less of an expert and that get less of a guru. And, you know, maybe I should try that again. Or I prayed or I went for a run or I got a new job or I did 150 asanas. And I've tried all these things, by the way. <laughs> and it's just more distraction. So those are the first two noble truths. And I'm just going to do a quick review because I do like to bottom line things. Hopefully this is helpful. The noble truth, number one, the noble truth of stress and suffering. Dukkha occurs and is not personal. Dukkha is, is explained as birth, aging, sickness, death, sorrow, regret, distress, and despair, or and or the five clinging aggregates. When we identify with impermanent phenomena, we suffer. The second noble truth of the origination of stress, clinging and craving perpetuate suffering. We know that identifying with impermanent phenomena causes suffering. That's the first noble truth. But we continue to do it. And we cling to the idea that maybe it will be different this time, or we delude ourselves. Well, it's not this particular phenomena that's causing me suffering, so I can cling to it. That's the bad news. I just got the, I got the bad news out of the way. The good news is there's a way out. We can experience unbinding. But um, I'm leaving you with a cliffhanger to be continued. I'm stopping there. I'm going to let the guests take over at one o'clock to explain how you can get out of this. <laughs> Jen, that was just outstanding, um, <laughs> including that last that last little uh, teaser there. Um, you said something just now that um, uh, I should not be. Th these aren't your exact words, but I should not even attempt to not experience dukkha because that is a self-referential view isn't it because as the buddha teaches us he declares that dukkha occurs it's simply a consequence of having a human life but so much of um religion spirituality new age philosophy really teaches how to, it teaches that we should try to escape from suffering and of course, again, I, I go back to how I described the Buddha. He was, he was the most um, radically accepting human being that ever lived, and he taught us how to do the same. This is simply what occurs in life, and you, you described that beautifully um, in in uh, your dissertation. Um, and I just love the idea that that uh, we get to look forward to the uh, to the resolution of this at, at one o'clock. So you, you just you did a great job. Thank you. Thank you, John. Um, so yeah, let's, I guess we'll go around the room and see if anybody has questions or comments. Um, or if you need any clarification, this is, you know, there's a lot here, just just in this one sutta, it's there is a lot just, you know, and initially, it can feel very, like, overwhelming to be, you know, challenged, but also challenged by some of this stuff coming up in your face and yeah. you know, but then also there's some relief there when you when you just read through that list of like dukkha you know uh the first noble truth 
sickness and death. You know, you hear all of that and you go, those, yeah, those things are stressful. Yeah. And we don't, you don't hear people talking about that very often, but they're really stressful. And like, I don't have to make them not be stressful. Yep. Yep. You can just leave it all alone. Got nothing to do with me. Right. Yep. So, um, Rom, you're, you're in my top left corner. I'm just going to wave to you. All right. <laughs> um, wonderful stuff. Um, these, as, as you just said, these specifically, the, the first noble truth is um, just a minefield of uh, confusion <laughs> for most people. Um, specifically, if you get into Buddhism, you know, in general, uh, there is so much <clears throat> misunderstanding there of the first noble truth. Yeah, I've been through the the um, the chat rooms and, and all of that, and it's just all over the place. While you know, here we are, and we have Sariputta just lay it out. You know, this is this is what it is. This is part of human life, and <clears throat> we cause. You know, that's one part of it. The fact that we have discontent about it, that is our problem. Dukkha, you know, the suffering, the, the stuff that happens in life, hey, it happens in life. What are you going to do? You can start accepting it, that this is what it is. Um, and <clears throat> thank you for, for unpacking that because, uh, God, I remember my own uh, struggles in the beginning to, to just get those two things separate. The, the, the baked in, you know, stuff in life and, and, my, and our own discontent about it. Um, and once that is understood by somebody coming into the Dharma, uh, that's the big leap. That's where you go from, uh, you know, this kind of looks interesting to, holy shit, this is really good stuff. This is what, what going to um, finally help me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for saying Thank that. Thank you, Ron. I, I agree. Uh, and which is why I, I wanted to really point out that, like, all, all these swirling concepts are... are uh, you know, it, the first year that I was involved in the Sangha, I was just holding in mind, trying to hold in mind the Four Noble Truths, just trying to understand what the heck it, it meant. And kind of trying to always remember that I'm ignorant and therefore stressed and just being gentle. Like that's what I had. Jen, how long have you been practicing with us? About five years, is that right? I started in, I mean, I, I kind of count when I started going to Matt because he was like yeah. feeding, feeding it the stuff to me without me, like without a formal sutta. Yep. So that was 2014, but I started coming to class, I think the beginning of 2015. Yeah, I thought it's remarkable what you've developed. First truth of happiness. So. Oh, yeah. 
Thank you, Ron. Um, Karen, you're next on my screen. How are you this morning? It's nice to see you. I like that picture behind you. Hey. Hi, everybody. Jen, oh my God, blown away. Totally blown <laughs> away. Um, so clear. And again, the more I show up, obviously, the more <laughs> I learn. And um, I'm just so uh, inspired, really okay. inspired by all of you, all of you. I mean, I just, um, I'd like to ask, I don't know if you'd be okay with this, but I'd love to ask you to do a, uh, take a picture of that chart and send it to me. Sure. If you don't mind. I don't and know. I, I can't, I can't say that I, that it's super helpful. I feel like it's <laughs> Thing, but it might be very confusing, but I'd love to see it. I would okay. love to see it. And I yeah, feel I the same way about, I don't know if I can't see, but I don't know if Michael and Julia are on the call, but Julia had a chart. Yeah. Julia, you had a chart too, okay. didn't you? Um, let me, let me interrupt if I could. Why don't send it to me and I'll just post it on the retreat, uh, oh, the retreat webpage. So you'll, it'll be there. Yeah. Julia, I would love to see what you had, uh, drawn out also. I will, I'll send it to John. Uh, yeah, I'll post it later on today. Thank you, guys. Thank you for that. Great idea, Karen. Thank you. Um, I do have a question. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm finally getting it. <laughs> uh, I have a question. John, you said something last night at the very end when we were talking about form. Um Clean to form is the essence of greed and aversion. Could you, would you mind just clarifying that just a little bit more? Yes, it, thank you for, for asking. Um, it is by self-identifying, it is by me self-identifying with this form as me that I incorporate all the greed that I can muster. In other words, it's, it, it all resolves. All of my greed Wow, I'm having a hard time describing this. <laughs> all of my greed is encapsulated in the form. And so it's by identifying with the form. All the things that I ever thought that I need to be. Uh, center fielder for the New York Yankees. The world's greatest meditation teacher. Owning the owner of a new car, not just actually having a new car. All of those things. Um, a great speaker, a great lover, um, a great TV watcher. That's all things that we incorporate into this form. And once we do that, the form itself becomes the essence of greed. And that's what I mean. It's, it is encapsulated in us. But once we understand that and let go of those views that this is me, we're free from all of that. And, it, and it's, I don't want to say it's an instantaneous awakening because it, for most of us, it's gradual that we, that we let go of our clinging attachments. But ultimately, that's what we're we're developing is is release from the belief that this is me, and so, so I hope that brings clarity, Karen. Yes, thank you so so much. Yeah. Really appreciate. Thanks for the it. question. Yeah, and Jen, thank you again. And okay. so that's reflected in so many suttas, but in particular the Bahia Sutta, where the Buddha taught Bahia to understand that this is not me, this is not what I am. That's the essence of the Buddha's Dhamma. So what what are we left when we recognize? When I finally understand that this is not me, what am I? I'm going to ask Jen, because I think oh. you can explain it better than I could. 
Or at least I'll put you on the spot to try to do so. So I guess, I guess I would back up a little bit and say that um, the Buddha teaches us that form is not self. Is Yeah, form is not self. So when we identify to ourselves that form is self, we suffer. So and it's just that simple. I don't mean to interrupt you, we, but it, we, yeah. we we can stop there. I want you to elaborate, but we but yeah. we can stop at that point. This is not me, but please go ahead. So identifying with form and and defining ourselves with our form causes desire. It causes aversion. It causes and that causes greed. And so. The problem is that we use form to define ourselves. Yep. And so then you, so, so you know, your brain, your brain kind of like, well, this body, is, this is me. This is me. Like, what, what do you mean my body's not me? Like, what are you, what? It's not, it's, it's not that you're trying to get into what I am. It's just that you're getting into what you're not. Yes. And there's nothing, nothing extraordinary about having a human form. We all have one. Right. So why use it to self-identify? Right. Because form changes. Yep. You know? Yeah. The, so this is what I look like right now in this moment. But in five minutes, I'm going to look different. And I don't need to look any kind of way. And, you know, why am I thinking about that anyway? Who cares? Like, it's not important. Yep. That's not life as life occurs. Yeah. Um. There's something else that you said, Karen, that I wanted to kind of like point out or hone in on. And it goes back to what I was saying in the beginning, which is like, again, all understanding all of these concepts is not, you don't need that in order for the Dhamma to be working on you. All you need is to show up, come to class, listen to teachings, and engage with the Sangha. That's, and meditate. Yeah. That's what you need to do in order to have the Dhamma work on you. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, and that's what we're doing here, isn't it? With our classes and our retreats, is just keeping that, keeping the the, the flow of the Dhamma going, and I, that, as in an overarching way, that's the, um, that's the importance of a well-informed and well-focused sangha that also meets regularly. You know, so th- this is just what we're doing, and those of us that have uh, stayed with this meaning meeting regularly are the ones that have actually developed the Dhamma and are reaping the benefits of it and to a person, you know, that's true. Thank you. Thanks guys. Let's see. Next we have Josh also get some kudos because it is early there as well. Right. Seven. Yeah. He's in in grand junction. (laughs) Thank you. Teacher. Yeah. I really needed to hear this today. It was very reassuring and clearly put. And for some reason, I kind of think of the old Woody Allen saying, he says, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful, Josh. I don't think he meant it that way, but in reality, it is a very Buddhist saying. 
Yeah. It is. Yes. If I take it personally, I'm going to suffer. <laughs> That's if right. Just, it's a part of the human experience. Yep. Then, uh, so long, you know. <laughs> Been nice. And, uh, 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 <laughs> I think we need to. We, everybody spends their whole life going through the fear of getting, of fighting life because of all the things you outlined and, and uh, the, all the fears that are associated with that of, mm -hmm. of not getting what we want and getting what we want or uh, busy distracting ourselves to death uh, through life. And, uh, so. Thank you. I've, I've really appreciated the student today. Okay. Okay, Josh. I, I think Woody Allen also said, "As I don't want to be a member of a club that would have me as a member." <laughs> <laughs> um, Josh, it was your it was your comment, I, and it keeps going off in my brain. I want it all. I want it all. <laughs> I want it all. I want it now. Something like that. That's the song. That's the commercial. Yeah. Hey, John, I think that was Groucho Marx, maybe. Oh, that's right. It was. <laughs> Another wise man. Yeah. <laughs> that song going off in my head of like, just, you know, wanting to get it. I want to get it, get it, get it, get it. <laughs> and so helpful to help me actually kind of introduce this suit to myself. And we're taught that's the, the purpose of life is to get it all, isn't it? To keep adding to the form, yeah. and 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 so therein is a, is the stress of life. So. Yeah. Root and ignorance. Mom. mom, you're up. Proud mama. <laughs> <laughs> Very proud mama indeed. And you should um, be. Um. Yeah, Jen. That was. Uh, I, you know, the, everybody should know that Becky is Jen's mom. Just to understand yeah. what so, we just said. You know, that were so helpful to, to everyone, to people who have been here for a while and people who are new. Um, and one of the things that really helped me is that every time you said Duca, occur, Duca occurs and it's not personal, you added and it's not personal every time, which is so important. You know, it's just so important to realize that. And that, that not personal part has helped me as I've, I've learned and as I've barely, barely been able to incorporate and to experience some of this. And the other thing is that it's not intellectual. And everybody can come to it their own way, their own, with their own their own way of, of understanding. I just started coming to class and I'm not, I'm not really a, you know, a hardcore studier. I'm just going to say that right up front that I just came, I listened 
I looked up things that I didn't understand. And after, I think I've been four years, when I look back, I cannot believe how much I understand it now. Yeah. And, and it just kind of, it just kind of worked. It, and it, it's amazing. I was mostly I was, by just showing up, right, Becky? Just by showing up. Yeah. Just by showing up and meditating. Yeah. Meditating is definitely, you have to do that. Yeah. And um, the Donna just happened to me. And now when, when we talk, and especially on the last retreat, when we spend time, three days, just talking about the Donna, it's amazing that I, I, you know, I get it. I'm even to the point where I can kind of explain it a little bit if anybody asks, but not that I do that unless I'm asked. Um, but anyway, Jen, beautiful. Bottom lined it to death, and it was so, so simple. It was, it was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mom. Your mom. I just want to underscore something that you said, which is that you just kept showing up. So it is, and I, I don't want to steal too much thunder of the, of the, you know, the part two, but, um, you know, it is just engaging in right effort, which is making sure that you are. So it's not like you don't have to do anything. You know, I just want to say that there's the middle way. It's the middle right. of, you know, taking this stuff in, making it a point, being, being consistent, meditating, showing up for class, but it's not like, Oh, and I'll get, you know, it's the studying. You're not like, you know, you're, right. I mean, yeah. Jen, Jen showed me her chart that, that you asked about Karen because, uh, dependent origination is, is there's a lot of really difficult concepts in dependent origination, I think, even to, to this day. And I thought, well, maybe this will help me to really bottom line dependent origination. Charged in your, now. Didn't help me either. <laughs> help. <laughs> yeah, but that that what you're also referring to is the, is the the third refuge of a well informed and well focused sangha because that's right. that's where we show up, you know. And, for, right. and maybe we should say it that way that all you have to do is show up in a well informed and well focused right. sangha. Right. Because right. that 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 is how that is how Buddhism began with Siddhartha Gautama, is by forming a well informed and well focused sangha. And just talking about the Dhamma like we're doing here. And that's why I said yesterday, I guess it was, that we are a living example of the very first Sangha because we're doing just what they did. This is it. You know? Yeah, that's true. The Sangha's taught me taught me everything. Yeah, me too. Same. Yeah. yeah. Same. Thank you, Mom. Uh, Maura, hi. It's so nice to hi, see Maura. you. Hi, Maura these last few days it's been very reassuring <laughs> why <laughs> because you're you're i mean for me for me personally you're is yeah old school your your wisdom and your view has always you know shaped my understanding so ah oh, well thank you i'm glad to be so well received <laughs> not everywhere i go <laughs> <laughs> I can attest to that. I'll take it. Um, holy crap. It's just yeah. people that don't understand you, though, Maura. 
holy crap. Oh my God. OMG. OMG. <laughs> <laughs> OMG. Really. Um, I'm just uh, I, at the risk of. Um, so I was thinking, oh my gosh, you know, if you say, oh, you did such an incredible job, then it's a reinforcement of on a top yes. or something. Yeah. Yep. So I wanted to just really commend um, the the right effort, the right intention, the right view that the Dhamma that's flowing through you um, is just um, amazing. I think John had said, um, Meeting in the Sangha is what keeps the Dhamma flowing. And when we are in that stream, life is so much easier <laughs> and more beautiful and so much less sticky. And, you know, so I just, um, I'm really blown away. I can't wait to listen to your talk again. I have been around the block a long, a lot, and um, that was truly one of the most brilliant expounding of the Dhamma with the clarity of the Dhamma and the fleshing out of the personal nature of the Dhamma, the impersonal personal nature. So your particular flavor in which the Dhamma is expounded. Like, that's just so beautiful. And I love that um, in the teachers, each of the teachers has been able to really find their voice. Yeah. And oh, I'm so grateful for that um, because there are many voices and yep. many, many ways of hearing and receiving the Dhamma. So that's, I think, why this beautiful Sangha has really um, been able to cultivate such incredible fields of comma, <laughs> right? um, because there's so many voices um, and such richness. And um, I benefited so much from this weekend. I, I can't even tell you. I'm so grateful I could be here. Um, and I won't be able probably to hear David, which I'm sorry, I'll listen, David. I'm so, I'm in love. I'm sad about that, but that's what we've got. Um, Duca is occurring. It's not personal. It's a little bit of clinging and craving. I'll but, post the talk later, though. Yeah. In all that, um, I think the um, Ram had said uh, that. You know, dukkha occurs in life, and if we can accept it, we can. Uh, uh, actually, somebody said, said I don't. I think it was Ram. But what I find is that seeing through the light, the right lens, right? Dukkha is occurring, and when we accept that, John, you said that the Buddha was the most radical acceptor, and I thought that was also such a beautiful way of, of putting it. That then we can actually begin to experience the rest of the noble truth yeah. and like that without that we can't really um 
get what we want. And that Obama uh-huh. said it was a discontent about dukkha. That's the extra. I read a lot of my clients always say, oh, you're so extra, you know, or they'll tell their kids, you're so extra. And, um, and I, I'm going to use that as a mindfulness bell of like, right, you know, it's um, just that what's extra in this moment, you know, that, that I'm adding. So I just loved, uh, again, not loved, I found it so effective your description of this process it really hit to the marrow um so i'm just uh, really grateful to be here and your mom was like beaming (laughs) (laughs) um and i was and oh my gosh josh i just have to say that um that quote was just spot on Thanks, Laura. Thank you, Maura. I, um, I mean, you, you have that also helped me get here. So, I mean, I can remember conversations with you where I definitely had some aha moments for sure. And so, you know, it's right back at you. And yeah, I, I want to underscore what you said about, I mean, everybody, not just the teachers, you know, the Dhamma when it when it's working on you allows you to just be authentically yourself and that's yeah. valuable yep and that's the cessation of dukkha isn't it you know more touched on that too that the buddha didn't teach that we should end dukkha he taught that we should understand dukkha mm-hmm. because that's what it means to be a fully mature human being you know, we just we understand it's a, it's a natural consequence of living in the world that there's going to be periods of uh, disappointment and discontent that we don't have to react to anymore because we understand it just that way. And that chart, the chart was birthed in at one Dharma, of course. So when yeah. Karen asked for it, I just kept thinking because I remember Jen walking around with a piece of paper at one Dharma, and I'm going. Oh my God. Like, you know, I, it's funny. This is, this is it with the simplicity because I had this tendency this morning, I started reading this sutta and I thought, Oh, everybody's being so scholarly and, um, I should be scholarly. And I saw Anatta, you know, and said, no, (laughs) you know, listen, uh, you're not trying to prove anything to anybody. That is the wrong path. Um, so it was really great to hear you um, kind of bring that home because yeah. gave permission, like, no, don't have to do that. That's, mm-hmm. what, what's my intention there? I do need to look more clearly and look at the suttas when time is appropriate, but that urge was to kind of, you know, yeah. establish something. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, no, nope, that's not, that's the wrong way. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. Totally. Thank you. David. <clears throat> oh, wait. Did he just plop right when 
I said that? Oh, no, there you are. Okay. Good morning. I don't know why my view changed, but it did. Thank you so much, Jen. Uh, I think I said this when we, we spoke uh, through text that uh, obviously you did the heavy lifting here. <laughs> and uh, no spoiler alerts. Don't read ahead. <laughs> don't take my thunder. But, uh, one of the things that uh, I did when I first started, and this was a year before I ever joined or thought of coming to class, uh, I just absolutely crunched down on trying to understand everything. Uh, concepts, words, order of how things flowed. I just... That's what I did. Uh, and then I threw it all away. I threw every bit of notes away. And I got this. I've got four lines I look at every day. I look at it every day, and it's simply the four noble truths. And the intention of understanding the first noble truth, abandoning the second, I will spoil a little bit realize the third noble truth and develop the fourth noble truth. Uh, and then I go to my Sangha, I listen to the teachings and, uh, that is the formula. There's a formula. So thank you, Jim. Thank you for reiterating Thanks, that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Kevin, Dr. Kevin. Hello. Hello, Jen. Hello, everyone. Hey, Kevin. Um, I, you know, um, what David said just rings so true with me. It was uh, similar to what I was thinking, too. You know, I never really made a diagram of this. I'm interested in that diagram. I, um, My way of approaching it was just mental diagram, lists, and the numbers, and trying to memorize the Dhamma. I thought if I can memorize this whole thing, then that'll be the way. And, um, and but it's true that both work. I mean, both of them, we can throw them away, but I think they were entree into um, understanding these concepts. Hmm. We talked a few weeks ago about repetition. Buddha brought up that, you know, said that the repetition is so important with this. And repetition in, in these teachings and repetition in meditation and repetition in visiting the Sangha. And I think that that repetition brings clarity. Mm -hmm. And I think you brought a huge amount of clarity by repeating and by exposing us to your, your way of looking at these teachings. So thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, I definitely don't want to, like, discount understanding the concepts. I'm just, you know, it's the middle way. You want to do the middle yes. way, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike. Hi, Hi, Jennifer. Uh, love the presentation. A lot, a lot of, uh, you, uh, I don't think you missed anything in there. You know, word for word, you seem like you had everything covered there. So, uh, very thorough, thorough job. And, um, thank God there's a, a cleanup hitter in coming in, uh, in the afternoon because there's quite a, <laughs> those bases are loaded right now. And there's a lot of stress and uh, <laughs> pain and suffering on them. 
So um, sometimes what you have to do is take a, you know, hit by the you know, pitcher sometimes to bring them you know, hit a home run. <laughs> That's true. You don't always have to hit a home run. Um, but uh, again, nice, nice way you had laid this out. And so much, obviously, uh, uh, I don't have to say this. It's, I don't mean to be uh, redundant, but there is just a, so much going on in those first couple of pages and those first two. Uh, the amazing thing about the Four Noble Truths, it's like, well, ignorance of the Four Noble Truths explains everything, right? But it's more than just uh, uh, knowing that, like, uh, just as a consequence of our existence, you know, uh, we suffer. And it's more than just uh, saying, uh, you know, uh, the Second Noble Truth is, uh, you know, uh, the cause of suffering is clinging craving. And then obviously the Third Noble Truth being um, um, there is a there is a way for the uh, cessation of suffering to occur, and the fourth noble truth that is the the, uh, the noble eightfold path. Again, it's easy and easily enough to understand when you just like read them off like that. But each one there is a, a description. You, there's probably pages that could be written on each and every one of those noble mm-hmm. truths. So. Uh, I like the fact that you went deeply into, uh, you, you stayed to the script, you had, and embellished it going through for greater understanding, imparted greater understanding uh, of a very seemingly easy concept. I'm not going to say, say that, but like uh, as the way it's laid out, but incredibly introspective uh, and deep, you know, are, are those noble truths. They're not just taken for face value. You've got to go inside with those. And I appreciate you imparting that and uh, the way to do it. So thank you so much for the lesson. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. And well said, Michael. Thank you. Not, I don't even need to. Yeah, you just re- reiterated and clarified. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Julia. Hello. Hello. Um, ditto to everyone, what everyone said um, about, you know, your teaching, Jen. I, I love your teaching style. You know, it's, it's, it's very formulated <coughs> and it follows a logical process. Which that's, that, you know, that, that's, it's very, um, for me, it's very, it makes me, it's easy for me to understand the concepts. Um, the thing I, like, like Michael said, the thing that's amazing is that there's only four noble truths, yet the whole Dharma is, is, in, is inside of there. You know, it's, it's like, that's the condensed, you know, pocket version of the, the Dhamma and understanding that is, is, is the amazing thing. Uh, I mean, the first noble truth has so, so much within it and it's like, it kind of sets the tone for everything else. It's, it's how we view the world, you know, it's how we, uh, how we interact with the phenomena. Um, it's how we view ourselves. It's, it's, you know, how we view these clinging aggregates, uh, you know, as part, you know, part of ourselves, how we're defining it. And um, I, I find all this very, it's, it's amazing. The thing that's amazing to me is that the other day we were studying the Mula Sutta where it dealt with phenomena and how the mind uh, interprets phenomena and how the self interprets phenomena. And I could see that in here also. I'm like, yes, this is exactly how we are, um, how we are seeing the, the different phenomena that's coming in. And uh, just like what I that day I said, the thing that we have to divine is that phenomena is what the mind notices and it's different for everyone. And it's amazing how we're all creating a different world in our heads and how, uh, 
that interaction and how we how we how we play with that phenomena in our heads um is is how we suffer mm-hmm. in, you know and and how, how we're actually identifying with everything all around us all the time and it's subtle things just subtle things having a cup of coffee is a subtle thing but yet you you know that whole experience is you could see that you could have a self-referential experience with it and it's just amazing how it's that first noble truth is is so uh, is so important to set the view right for the rest of the path. Yeah. So that's that's what I have to say. And thank you, Jen, for yeah. imparting that. Thanks, Julia. Thank you, thank you, Julia, for pulling that out because, um, yeah, I mean, I was even pre- charged with presenting this kept kept pulling everything I knew into it and like, you know, talking about intellectualizing it. I just was like, wow, I feel like I need to explain all, all the things. And, um, you know, it's, it, it was, it is like, yeah, it's, it, you don't need to understand all of those things. It's just a matter of understanding that phenomena arises and passes away yeah. without me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And with and direct knowledge and profound wisdom. But, oh, like, that, that took me like three years to like, <laughs> like, <laughs> accept, you know, still, still, Matt sees it more than anybody else, or maybe, and maybe mom sees me resisting that on the regular which causes me extreme stress. <laughs> that's, that's a short sure, time. you can time. all relate to. That's a short time to understand that, hey, uh, yeah. I would think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I clearly don't still, still don't understand. My husband as well probably could, could attest to how I don't always understand that. I am ignorant, I am ignorant of the Four Noble Truths. Al's, Al's oh, just Alex, Alex, Alex gets the award. I mean, that, <laughs> Matt is good, but Alex gets the award. Well, one thing we have to say is, is, is anybody in this cha- in this room here uh, enlightened yet? Yeah, right. <laughs> Please stand up. <laughs> yeah, that, that means we're all, we all have possessed a deluded mind still. So we have, to, we have to recognize that and say, okay, well, be compassionate. That's why sometimes I make these mistakes in life. <laughs> yep, exactly. Thank you, Jen. Uh, teacher Kevin. Hiya. Hey, Jen. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, really appreciate this talk. And, you know, there's something special, I think, um, you know, when we teach each other and, and sort of how the teachers have developed another sort of, um, you know, just, just sort of association within the Sangha. It's, it's special to hear back from the other teachers. Um, the compassion in your teaching style is so clear and evident and that helps I, not only me, I hope it helps the other teachers. So it's, mm-hmm. it's special to hear that you, the way you're able to add your direct experience into the teaching is such a skill. Um, I hope to learn from that. Uh, it's, you're able to put the, the appropriate gravitas to something this essential to the Buddha's Dhamma. And that's, that's a skill that, that takes 
skill. And, I, and I, as I said, I hope to learn from you on that. How you weaved this into the metaphor from last night's sutta about it felt as if you were holding all of our hands, taking us through the forest, through the swamp, to this place of where we can relax and be calm and see this phenomenon, what we call eye-making, where Becky, you led your mother there, which was so beautiful during this, that, that, that you led her to the understanding of, from an, an, a misunderstanding of the first noble truth, how stress occurs, we lead into the second noble truth, which Becky is the start of dependent origination. We, from misunderstanding the first noble truth, we fabricate reality. That's enough yep. to stop and leave it for today. We can come back to dependent origination as we will as a Sangha, but the fact that you're leading your mother to understand, I just can't believe how beautiful that is. And your expression of the Dhamma is just, yeah, it just, it just warms my heart. It's special to be around all of you and, and Thank you, my friend. Beautiful. Thank you, Kevin. It really is something you, special that uh, to have Becky and Jen being part of our song. I, I just, I just think it's remarkable, um, and 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 to to watch their, um, I think their relationship has even grown closer, hasn't it, through your own Dhamma study? And it really is just, it's, it, it's beyond words. It's beyond poignancy. It really is remarkable. I, I just. I consider myself very fortunate to have both of you or to be in your Sangha is probably the best way to say it. So I concur. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, John. Sweet words, Kevin. Thank you. And I wouldn't say that we're any closer. I would say that we are, uh, our, our relationship is less stressful. Mm. Mm. Way less. Not that it was, stressful before but it's even less stressful now yeah. meg good morning meg from hawaii good morning hi it's um really early here i'm still waking up but um <laughs> uh jen thank you so much for the teaching um you really unpacked a lot and um maybe it's because it's so early here, I was just trying to to get the to simplify it, I guess. And and what I got out of it basically is what some of the others have already said. Is it seemed like you were saying, you know, it was almost like here's the words. It's a lot. It can be really confusing. Just show up. And, I mean, that's what I, and, and it was kind of interesting because it kind of described my meditation this morning. You know, I was paying attention to, I was trying to really pay attention and be mindful of when the voice showed up, you know, and started talking, you know, and interrupting my meditation. And, uh, and I was noticing that it always had to do, there was always an eye in there. Mm -hmm. And the I, and I thought about this later, you know, I would immediately just go back to the breath and sometimes not so immediately. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then, and then it would stop, you know, so, but I know I was thinking about it after the meditation that, um, the I was always in relation to something else. It was always, 
whether it was uh, about form or whether it was about an idea, it was always about me in relation to something or somebody else. And when I'd come back to um, the breath, I was coming back to, instead of an I, it was just M. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. That, that's really great really, insight, Meg. Really and good insight. It, it, it remi- and that reminded me of you know what I was, um, what had come up for me the other day about self-conscious versus self, self-aware, centeredness versus self-aware. Self-centeredness. There's all. It's always me in relationship. It's the I in relationship to somebody or something else. Yep. And it always is something I'm relating to me. And when I let go of that and I'm just aware, I just am. Yep. Yeah. So that's why. So that's why the the direction is the way that it is during meditation is, is uh, being mindful of breath arising and passing away, being mindful of thoughts arising and passing away. Being mindful of feelings arising and passing away, being mindful of the overall state of mind being arising and pa- arising and passing away. So, so you're, you know, seeing the voice come in. You're seeing that. You're seeing that arise, and you're seeing it pass away. So it's not actually interrupting your meditation because you're. You're still meditating. You're still staying with your breath. You're seeing that arise and pass away. You're still meditating. It's not, you don't have to not have the voice. You just have to concentrate on breathing when the voice arises. And the, the, the voice is, is, has the potential to distract you from breathing and being mindful of your breath. It doesn't have to though. Yeah. And so in meditation, what we're doing is we're, we're practicing being mindful of what's occurring by being mindful of what's occurring, breathing. We're holding in mind that our breath, our, our breath arising and passing away. When we hold that in mind, we practice not being distracted by our thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And that's not something we do ever in our day. All we do in our day is think and think and more and achieve and get and acquire so that's what we practice so that's why we have to meditate because we have to practice not doing that we have to we have to train our minds to hold in mind what is occurring our breath arising and passing away and allowing whatever else is happening in the mind whatever movement we refer to it as a movement Whatever, whatever other movement is happening, not pulling us away from what actually is happening, which is our breath arising and passing away. And then we notice that that mind state, whatever it is, it's impermanent. It, it passes away. We don't need to grab onto it and take and let it take us into stress. Yeah. Very well said, Jen. Remember the... Well, that, that the was powerful, actually. The... <laughs> Remember the instructions as they relate to the four foundations of mindfulness, that feelings arise and thoughts flow. We're sensitive and conscious beings. They're supposed to. That doesn't, 
It doesn't mean that feelings should stop arising and thoughts should stop stop flowing during meditation. It simply means that we'll we'll now understand that using jhana meditation. Feelings as as alive human beings, feelings are always arising and passing away. As conscious human beings, thoughts are constantly flowing. They're they're supposed to. They're, if if they stop flowing, you know, if we the interesting thing is a lot of meditation is taught to develop a trance-like state, but that's a death-like state, isn't it? To be absent of thought is the same as being dead. And that's why the Buddha relates ignorance of Four Noble Truths as the death-like state. So we are literally coming alive in jhana meditation by not being distracted by feelings or thoughts. And that's why it feels so good, <laughs> meaning the Dhamma, because we're actually living our life right here and right now. I used to, um, I, I like to bust John's chops about being long-winded, and now I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, am, really? Am I, am I long-winded? No. <laughs> you always talk about yourself as being long-winded. I think I am. Okay. Uh, let's can, can I, just, keep, can I just say something to Meg? Yeah. I thought, I thought you were, what you just described was so helpful yeah. and you really it really helped me to hear you say those to hear you describe the realizations that you had during your meditation it was it was it it sort of helped me to realize that okay, I'm getting there, I'm on the right track. And just putting it in those words was very helpful. So thank you for that. That was very helpful. Yay. Um, Meg, did you have anything else? I'm sorry, I feel like I cut you off. Um, I, I think that's it. I just, um, just uh, commenting again about how I think just showing up and, and, and then, um, uh, to what John said about, um, and you about, uh, you know, thoughts and feelings showing up, coming up or that's normal. And, um, sometimes I get into this thing as, Oh, there I go again, you know, but then that's the I again. Yep. There I go again in relation to the thoughts and the feelings. <laughs> yeah. So that's the self-consciousness again. So, so for to what John said too, you know, it's like, well, then that you got to let go of that too. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Just it, be okay with the thoughts and feelings that come up. So, yeah. so it uh, it is really simple. It's just showing up. <laughs> yeah, and when I say we need we need to be very gentle with, our, with ourselves that's what yeah. i'm referring to is is let yeah. go of any harsh judgment of ourselves that, that that's the yeah. uh, that's the most um debilitating thing that human beings do to themselves you know for four or five years i've been trying to write a book about the um the common human condition of self-loathing that is really um uh, we're, we're conditioned to think that if we're going to be better as human beings, we first have to find what's wrong with us. And we, we, we can't help but bring that into our Dhamma practice. But the first thing that we 
we learn in authentic Dharma practice is to stop doing that, to stop judging ourselves harshly. And that's the beginning of uh, true self-healing. And, you know, you got to use, I have to use that term cautiously too, because what are we healing? We're really not healing anything. We're just, we're just growing up. We're becoming fully mature human beings who now gain the ability to stop beating the hell out of ourselves because we understand the nature of suffering. You know, it's just that way. So being very, very gentle with ourselves as feelings arise and thoughts flow, not getting caught up in the judging of the fact that feelings arise and thoughts flow because it's the most natural thing in the world. It's part of being a human being is to have feelings and to have thoughts. And when you, again, t- take that just a little bit further, if, we, if we're absent of feelings or absent of thoughts, we are no longer alive. We're no longer participating in our own life. And so, you know, these, um, understanding that as the Buddha teaches is the most precious thing in the world because we, we are able to reunite ourselves with our own feelings and our own thoughts. They're, they're no longer, um, our feelings and our thoughts are no longer the enemy. They're just us, you know, and that's, that's what we learn by being gentle with ourselves. So I guess you're right. I do go on a bit. <laughs> God. Hi, this is Kevin. Roach. Hey, Kevin. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I just, um, there's um, one suit I wish I could quote, like where it comes from, but um, the, the Buddha even said, in the perfect one, feelings oh. arise. Yep. And in the perfect one, fabrications occur. Yeah. And he was still a human, and he could, he, he realized that. And we can't stop it, really. I think that's really all I'm saying. Yeah. I think he said it. And in the Vitaka Santana Sutta, the Buddha teaches that we gain the ability to think what we want to think when we want to think it. So again, it's reiterating the point that thoughts or thinking is not the problem. We shouldn't try to eliminate our thoughts. We should we should understand where our thoughts are generated from. And when our thoughts are generated from right view, they're pleasant, pleasing, calm, peaceful, conflict-free thoughts. Why? Because there's no eye-making in that. You know, again, it's a, you, you've heard me say this. If we're going to end conflict in the world, if we really... And every human being, unless you're, you have a true psychosis, every human being wants to end conflict in the world. Nobody wants to live in a, in a conflicted world. But we don't understand how to change that. And the only way to change conflict in the world, or to end conflict in the world, if there's a chance of doing it, is to end conflict in our own minds first. And that's all that we're talking about. And another way of saying ending conflict in our mind is say, be gentle with ourselves. Why do we judge ourselves harshly? You know, well, well we're conditioned to do it, but it's, it's, it's rooted in ignorance and foolishness, isn't it? And we learn through the Dhamma to simply abandon it, to, to, to not judge ourselves harshly and just be with ourselves and our thoughts and our feelings as our life unfolds without the need for them to be any different than it is. Oh, all right, I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> All right, um, we got a few more people to go. If um, sorry, it's gotten so late. Um, Teacher Matt, you're up next. I don't need to say Teacher Matt. You're the only Matt in here, but Jen, um, it's just really wonderful to hear your understanding develop over the last six years, and and how you know today how you how you're feeding us you know the dhamma so it's just it's just wonderful thank you 
you know, again, I, I said I was going to be quiet, but I can't. Uh, <laughs> what, what what Matt just described is the um, it, it it's the essence of the Dhamma. It was it was by Matt's um, let's call it gentle coercion that Jen joined our sangha. And now look at the look at the look at the circle, you know. And now now Jen is has become our teacher. This is how it works, folks. This is, you know, um, this is this re this remarkable thing, this remarkable sangha that we've developed, and it's just like that. It, and I, I guess I'm saying the same thing I said last night. It's just all of us supporting each other. But look to look at the great benefit we get out of it. Look at the great benefit. Look at the great benefit I got out of being a dhamma teacher. I got to hear Jen teach today. And that's a true benefit. And all of you, all of you teachers, that's that's to my benefit, isn't it? That, I mean, if you want to talk about selfishness, the most selfish thing I can do is to teach the Dhamma because then I get it to come back to me on a on a Sunday afternoon in in Pennsylvania. And it really is. It, it, I'm almost brought to tears. You know that I'm pretty easy to cry. But it, it's just that realization of how incredibly wonderful this is that we're able to do this for each other. And the, and the great benefit that I get out of the Dhamma. Now, again, uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, John. And, you know, that's not crying, man. Payback. Pay <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, Jane, how is it that you keep me at the end of the... At the, uh, end of the... And then Mary. But hi. Hi. Um, first of all, I you did a great job. And I can tell that you're a teacher by profession because only a teacher would have that energy first thing in the morning. <laughs> I'm at it with all that energy. Um, when you were listing all the things that cause stress, um, prior to my practice, it was like I could almost check them all off. Yep, yep, that's me, that's me. And um, I too came from the mat school. Uh, right. He, he's the one that said to me, uh, do good exists. I mean, I really thought that I could control stress and all those things that cause stress. And it was only coming, his telling me, no, it exists. And then understanding my contribution to it that, you know, changed my life. So thank you. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Jane. That means a lot coming from you because I know we have very similar experience. Yeah. Mary. So, um, great job, Jen. And it's been wonderful watching. Yep. <laughs> I was there. But it's been wa wonderful watching uh, your growth and your life unfold. Um, and uh, so, so proud of you. And I really love that you said at the beginning, you know, you really made it clear that we're all, like when we say we're all on our journey, it's not, a, it goes back to that diagram, right? It's not linear. It's, it's, it's a bird's nest all weaving in on top of each other because there isn't a long-term person here that didn't just go back to the well to learn new things mm. about the first and second noble truths. I mean, so I almost feel a little bit uncomfortable when people say, well, you guys who have been doing this for so long, yeah. when we're really more similar 
than we are and to think mm. and it's wrong to think that this is levels right right like john is not necessarily levels yeah. or levels of achievement or i'm further down the path than you it's not it really like if there's any benefit to the diagram it is that i forget what liz always say it's this thing that folds in on itself i was just yeah. thinking about that mary how liz always refers to that the eightfold yeah. path is that yeah right Mobius, Mobius strip. yeah yeah yeah, and um, and I was uh, at retreat with Jen, and I remember there was a whiteboard, and we were in the basement, and it was also the origination of all the framed signs that John has on the wall now yeah. in his yeah. office because we started getting going with this whiteboard, which was really great about pendant origination, everything, everything Jen just said, and Jen and I both had the same reaction of. Oh my God, I got to write this down. Only my brain could never have gotten that on a piece of paper. We tried. And we were like in between, you know, lunch and break, we're trying to write this stuff down. So I think it was months and months later, Jen, that you actually uh, finished that. But we both had the same reaction of how do I capture this all on a piece of paper? And it's not that the diagram in the end matters, it was part of the process of understanding it and that it does. It, it isn't linear. It's not one, two, three, four, five, six, because then it's one, two, three, four, and then it's these two things over here, and then it's a dance chart, and it's, you know, it's a, or what's that called? A Venn? You, you know, need to make it electronic so I can click on different things, and then this explodes. Yeah, it's, it became 3D. And then it's a video, it turns into a video game, and then it's a replica, and it ends up looking like a coronavirus. You know. <laughs> it's crazy. But um, kudos to you for carrying it through. Um, so beautiful. I love how you just, right from the beginning, you know, this is, you know, this can't be an intellectual pursuit. And it was interesting to listen to David to talk about, because when he first started getting into this, I would find like a post-it note on the floor and it would have, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, it would have all these things. And he was really studying so hard. So that was really good sharing that that can be part of your process but the ability to articulate it in any of these conversations is not a demonstration of integration of the path in your life it just is a rote memorization perhaps mm. um so i really everybody has said so many wonderful things i can't wait till one o'clock um just to hear the solution to all this and to rejoice uh together with everyone so thank you so much thanks mary thank you everyone I, you know you guys i don't know what it is about zoom like you guys the squares keep moving but i definitely talk to all of you yeah yeah okay so uh, see you at one o'clock john is there anything you want to yeah just to, again jen it was just a, just a wonderful Marvelous teaching. Um, yeah, we'll we'll get back together at Great one o'clock, uh, and uh, we'll have our our new guest Dhamma teacher teach the second half of this uh, the sutta. But again, thank you all for just a remarkable retreat. See you at one. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, and thank you, John. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, John. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. 
If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.